Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapist's. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront the problems in their lives and then give them actionable advice and have them report back to let us know what happened when they did what we suggested. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a woman whose family disowned her after she refused to loan her father a huge amount of money wonders how to grieve the loss and how to trust again. That evening, my dad called me. I thought he wanted to apologize. But then it was all about, I'm not your dad anymore. You're not my daughter anymore. We're just strangers now. You mean nothing to me. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Guy. Hi, Lori. What do we have in our mailbox today? Today, we have a letter about a disagreement around finances with a parent. And here's how it goes. Dear therapist, about a year and a half ago, crazy things happened between me and my dad. His business was not doing well, and he wanted to get a loan for himself by using my name. It was an amount that I felt like I would never be able to repay in my lifetime. When I said no, my dad shouted to me on the phone that I was, quote, no longer his daughter. I always considered my dad a role model and did everything I could to meet his expectations and get his praises. It was shocking and heartbreaking to go through that experience. After a disturbing incident, I became scared of him and moved to a new city across the country. Since then, I have not spoken to anyone in my family, my mom, my grandma, my siblings, my cousins, etc., They all think that I was acting selfishly by not helping my dad, even after I described what had happened. 
However, as time goes by, I have this urge of reconnecting with my dad and the rest of my family. I am extremely conflicted because I don't think reconnecting will end well for me, but I can't help but feel lonely and crave the family connection. What should I do? Vanessa. I feel really badly for Vanessa. That is an incredible amount of loss to sustain. If she lost her dad, her mom, grandparents, siblings, cousins, everyone, she lost her entire family. What perplexes me is how this came about so shockingly and suddenly this massive change in behavior on the father's part when there was apparently no indication of these kinds of tendencies previously. So I'm just curious about whether they were and she wasn't seeing them. And if not, well, what was actually going on with him and why is all her family taking the father's side? There must be more to that story too. So there's a lot of missing pieces for me on this. I'm also curious why she was the one that the family depended on to make this loan. I'm guessing that this dynamic that's going on now probably has some history to it. So let's go talk to her and find out. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapist. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. So we wanted to start by learning a little bit about you, how old you are, what you do for a living, if you're living with anybody or you're living by yourself. So I am in my late 20s and I work as an analyst and I live by myself. So in your letter, you talked about this incident with your father. Can you take us through from the beginning what happened? So during COVID, we were all in lockdown mode. I was by myself. 
And then I was really worried about my parents and my grandparents' health and all that. So I moved back to be closer to my parents. I'm the oldest child. I have siblings. And growing up, my parents' marriage wasn't perfect at all. We did witness like domestic violence from my dad to my mom. But my dad has never laid a finger on any of us. Maybe in an immigrant family where I'm coming from, it's very normal in that way. So I was actually proud. What made you proud of him? Because he had never laid a finger on us. I remember telling my friends when I was in elementary school, oh, I have this amazing dad. My dad never bit me. Like It was because we were all very concerned about our test results. And then I was like, my parents will never do that to me because I got an F on an exam. In other words, what was normal in your world was that if you didn't perform academically, that there would be some kind of physical punishment. Yeah. My cousins all experienced that. So I was like, oh my God, my dad is always, it's so amazing. But you said growing up, it was normal that if you didn't do well, you might get hit by a parent. Was it also normal for domestic violence to happen between the parents, such that the fact that there was domestic violence in your home didn't register as problematic? I think the interpretation of domestic violence was very different when I was growing up. Right now, I understand just any form of violence is violence. But then when I was growing up, I always thought, oh, if my dad just say something really mean to my mom or throw a cup on the floor or like hit my mom with a pillow, that's nothing because she's technically not wounded. So my mom would always come to me when this happens, whether it's 3 a.m. It really did not matter to her what time it was for me. There would be some domestic violence and your mom would call you. She would show up in front of my door. Oh, she would come to be with you. Yeah. So in the fall, they had a really big fight. And then my mom came to me at 3 a.m. knocking on my door. And she promised she wouldn't answer my dad's call for like two weeks. And we promised that, oh, we should figure this out. If you want to leave, you should. Like, why would you want to get yourself hurt? And she wouldn't answer my dad's call for like two weeks. And suddenly she picked up one call from my dad without me knowing. And they're back together. And to this day, I don't know what happened during that call. What had he done to her that made her come over to you? And that you felt like she has got to leave? He was very violent to the point that my mom thought she would die. Mm. And did she have bruises on her? Yes. Were you alarmed by that or was that not a surprise for you? I was alarmed because, to be honest, that was my first time actually seeing evidence from the violence because I know this happened, but I never really understand the severity And the thing is, I'm partially at fault at this because growing up, my mom would always call me when any small inconvenience happens to her. But really, she was just trying to dump it all out on me. And she never tried to change anything. Like since high school, I was in boarding school, so I was never home much. 
But I feel like my mom was like the the guy who cries wolf every single time. So it was my first time actually seeing the physical result. Because you were away, you didn't realize how severe it actually was. Yeah, because my mom sometimes like exaggerates things. So I never know whether it's true or not. And that's something she criticized about me a lot because she always thinks that I take a lot of things too seriously. So then she would call me and be like, oh my God, something extremely awful happened. I'm going to die. And then I would get extremely serious on the phone with her. I was like, you should go to the doctor. And how can you allow that to happen? And then at the end of the call, she was like, oh my God, you're taking things too seriously. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, nothing happened. So for almost 30 years in my life, that's what happened. And so then like when I first saw that, I was shocked. So I stopped taking my dad's like calls and messages as well because I want my dad to admit that he's wrong, like make a man or like find a solution, whether it's divorced or not. Vanessa, you said, well, that was my fault that I didn't take my mom seriously. And then you explain, well, because she kept minimizing it and not changing it. Why do you feel then that it's your fault? Because especially as the first child, I did not stand up and point it out openly in my family. Is that the role of the first child in your culture, that if you see something between your parents, the first child has to stand up and point it out and put it on the table? No. Where did you get the idea that this was your role, that you are responsible for what happens between your parents? After the incident, I went to a therapist as well. There was this reflection that came to my mind. It's like growing up, even though I was away while my siblings were at home, they always say I'm the oldest, so I should come and handle the family issue. Who says that? My relative. So there were two incidents in in the time frame of the one year I was home. When the first incident happened, my mother's older sister and her daughter, who is older than me, they just suddenly show up in front of my door really late as well. And then they look extremely serious and they're just like, are you going to take care of your mom? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know my parents had an argument. I had no idea what happened. Did you ask? Yes. I was like, calm down. What happened? And they're just like, oh, your mom is walking over to your apartment right now. And I was like, walking? Are you serious? My aunt was like, oh, your mom called me with a stranger's phone an hour ago saying that she's on the way to your place. And she and your dad had an argument. And now she just left the house without car, without wallet, without her phone. And I was like, what happened? And she said she doesn't know. But then she was just like, why aren't you acting your part? What did your aunt say she wanted you to do? She wanted me to make sure that my dad doesn't hit her anymore. Mm. How were you supposed to do that? I don't know. The weirdest part is that When my mom got here, when I asked her, are you okay? Like, I heard you walked. How long did it take you? And she said, oh, she doesn't know. But after my aunt and cousin left, my mom admitted to me that she did not walk. She actually took a cab. 
I was like, why didn't you tell like aunt and like my cousin about it? They're so angry about the fact that my dad let you leave without money or car or anything. And then she was like, there's no need to let them know. So this is the kind of thing that made you feel like it's hard to know with my mom, with the crying wolf. It's difficult to know where reality lies. Yes. I don't know what she wants from me. So it's very confusing because it's hard to know what's real and what's not real. And yet you blame yourself for not taking her seriously at the times when she did report things to you without acknowledging that partly it was hard to know how seriously to take her because she would either minimize it or she wasn't telling the whole truth sometimes. I always get a sense that she tells parts of the story to different people. Mm -hmm. I find it hard to really piece stories together from her to really identify the action items I need to do. Right. We're both saying that we understand that there was some dramatic license in her stories and therefore it was hard for you to know what to do with them. But let's hear about the second incident and then what happened with your dad. Yeah, after the second incident, my mom was staying with me at that time. And then she was not talking to my dad at all. I would occasionally speak to my dad on the phone. I wanted to be bridge that amend the gap between them. And then suddenly, out of blue, like they got back so nicely together. And my mom stopped answering my calls. My mom moved out when I was not home, back to my parents' house. And I just could not like speak to her alone ever since. And then about a week after my mom moved out, my dad suddenly came to visit me in my apartment and said, I'm so sorry for what I did to your mom this time and over the years. And I'm so sorry for all the mistakes that I might have done. When you said you were trying to mediate between your mom and your dad, did you tell your dad how disturbed and terrified you were to see your mom show up in bruises? Yes. And what was his response to that? Did he acknowledge that he had a problem? He said it was an incident and my mom like tried to fight back as well and he was hurt as well. Well, of course she tried to fight back because she's defending herself. But how did that land with you that he said, well, it was an incident, and then your mom shows up with all these bruises. I thought he was not taking things seriously. So I actually took my mom to a hospital to get all of her bruises, like, recorded just in case, like, mm -hmm. she needed it in the future. I actually was encouraged then to get a divorce vocally. But when you spoke to your dad and you said, Dad, I, I'm horrified by how you hurt mom. And he said, well, it was just an incident. Did you have anything else that you wanted from him? Like, I need you to get help. Did you talk to him about that? Yeah, I asked him, like, what he is planning on doing in the future to avoid this kind of thing happened. And I even asked him if it's necessary for my mom to move out of the house and move in with me for however long it will take for him to recover from his violence. I thought if I just separate them, then the issue would not happen anymore. So somehow you thought that instead of this being his responsibility, that this was your responsibility. 
Like if I separate them, I can solve this as opposed to he needs to take responsibility and go get help. I think growing up, I always thought it was my responsibility to fix anything in my family. Because that was the message that you got from... Everyone, my parents, my relatives, especially my grandparents. My grandma, on her dying bed, called me when I was in college because my parents got into an argument. So the idea was that you're the eldest. Your job is to mediate between your parents, to keep the family peace, to be the guardian of the family, to solve the problems or come up with the solutions. You took on very seriously the role of rescuer there. How much were you thinking at the time about your own feelings, your own needs, the expectations, the responsibility, the actual violence that was going on? How much were you a variable in your own equation for what your duties are? To be honest, I was glad that I was there. I was so relieved that like, when the two incidents happened, I was physically there in the same city, so my mom could escape to my place. It felt good to you to fulfill your duty, in a way. What I'm asking you, though, is your duty, as defined by your family, is to the family, primarily. And I'm asking about your duty to yourself, as well, as a member of the family, for your own emotional well-being. That was a factor in any of the thinking that went on around it. It wasn't at the moment, but it is now. I'm still trying to understand why no one from my relatives or my parents or my grandparents never went to my siblings for anything. And of course, they always have the reasoning like, you're the oldest, you should be mature enough. But when I was growing up, like when I was 12, they would come to me. And when I was away in high school, they would come to me. So I start to believe that it was my responsibility as well, just because I was the oldest. But now I don't think it's true at all. And a lot of their actions were extremely disrespectful of me as an individual. Right. So your dad comes over, he's buttering you up. Where did that conversation go? I was crying in front of him because I was so touched. So you thought it was genuine? Yes. I was like, oh my God, you're back to the father I knew. You're, of course, you realize you're wrong. Anyone can see like domestic violence is wrong. I'm so happy that you recognize it. So it's not going to happen anymore. And I was just so touched. And my dad was even asking, oh, am I a good dad for you? And I was like, yeah, of course, you're the best. (sighs) Now, I just feel stupid. Because what happened? Yeah. So within 12 hours, his assistant called me. He was like, can you go to this place? Your dad is saying, no, can you go like, your dad wants to meet you there. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't I go meet with my dad at any place? Well, especially this reformed, idealized version of him. Now that he reformed the night before, now that he had a moment where he acknowledges and took responsibility and connected. So it was even more enticing to go and meet this version of him. Tell us what happened when you go to meet him. So I went to the bank and I saw my dad. 
And he was, of course, all nice, like the night before. He was like, oh, how's your day? Like all that kind of good stuff. And then suddenly he was like, hey, I just need your signature very quick. I was like, for what? We're at a bank. Oh, I don't know, maybe something good. I was expecting something good to happen. He suddenly has like a million of dollars and decided to transfer me some. But no, he wanted me to sign a loan that was, first of all, I would never be able to take it out if I just go to the bank myself. So apparently he arranged something with the bank. So I was able to get that amount of loan under my name. And I felt like I would never be able to repay it myself. So I was very hesitant. I said, let me think about it. And I just went home. He was like, yeah, think about it. It's not a big deal. I'll pay you back. Because I was getting money for him, for his business need. Just to be clear for our listeners. So the expectation was sign a loan in your name, get the money from the bank, give me all the money from the bank, and then I will pay you back so that you can repay the loan. Yes. And you were like, that's not a loan I would have gotten. I don't have enough collateral or savings to get that kind of loan. So that puts me in significant jeopardy. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when you first got there, you thought the reason he wanted you to sign something was maybe he was going to give something to you. You thought maybe something really nice has just happened. Yeah, because of the night before, he was so nice. He was like, you're my favorite kid even. It was like, you're like fixing the relationship between me and your mom. You're doing such an amazing job. So he really went all out the night before to really kind of lay the groundwork. And finally, I feel like I was being acknowledged Mm. for the first time by someone. And especially that someone is the person I idolized for my whole life. You've been waiting your whole life for somebody to acknowledge all of the sacrifices that you had made on behalf of the family. And he was finally seeing you and appreciating that and acknowledging that had it been genuine, that must have felt so good. I didn't know I need that acknowledgement until he said it. And I was completely broken down in tears. Of course, happy tears and extremely relief. I had never felt that relief in my lifetime So then you go home and you start reflecting on the request and you must have connected what happened the night before with the request that came the next morning. And so it must have taken you from this extreme high to a pretty low, low, I would imagine. Tell us what you were thinking and feeling that when you got home and you were starting to think through what was going on. I was just surprised and shocked when I look at the number on that book like it feels like it was a book when you sign alone so then I was like let me take the paper back I did some research myself asked my friends who knows more about finance than I do and then they were just like don't sign it you're basically putting your life out there if your dad doesn't pay this money back like you're stuck for life they even said you might go to jail if you can pay the loan. And I was freaking out because I don't want to go into jail for something I did not do. And especially like the money is not going to me. And I have no idea how my dad would repay this. So I asked my dad for a payment plan. And all of his information just seemed so vague and just not stable enough for my risk tolerance level. It dragged for a week. And my dad's friend, this uncle figure in my life, he knocked on my door too. 
And he was like, "Hey, I heard you have a small disagreement that's happening between you and your dad. And you know, your dad loves you so much, really cares about you. You are everything to him, and he is struggling, trying to communicate with you. So I'm here just to listen. You know, like an uncle. Do you want to get coffee downstairs? And I was like, sure. Like I know him since I was a kid." So we went to the closest cafe that's like five minutes away from my apartment, and we went to like really back of the cafe, and I was facing back of the door. I thought it was a one-on-one meeting, but my dad show up, my dad's assistant show up, people from the bank show up, and the whole conversation suddenly elevated. My dad tried to hit me with a with like a cup. Wait. So they show up. They circle you. They're trying to pressure you. Obviously, how did it get from that to your dad trying to hit you with a cup? I was in the conversation of trying to explain to this uncle figure in my life. This is a big loan. I have to really think about it. I don't think I can repay it, and I have to be ready to repay it back if something happened to my dad's finance. And he was like, "Oh, don't worry about it. Why are you worried about it? You're in good hands. It's your dad. Why would he?" Not take care of you. Do anything that's harmful to you. And then the bank people showed up with the paper and be like, "Hey, you should trust us. Your dad negotiated really well." I don't know when those people arrived because I was facing back. You're also very much caught by surprise and in shock, and so it's very difficult sometimes to remember a sequence of events when you're in shock because. It was this one shock after another, after another, after another, after another. People just kept showing up, so you didn't have time to process anything, and it was very overwhelming. It was, and I have no idea how long people were in the back lurking, like listening to my conversation. I I don't know if they arrive at the same time or they arrive in the sequence that I saw them, but they had everything ready. It was like plan ambush. It was an ambush. It was absolutely an ambush. I know. And then my dad showed up and said, "Why are you so worried about this?" I explained to him, "I said to you so many times, I don't think I can repay this myself. So I don't think I can be capable of owning up to this responsibility." And he was like, "Why are you making such a big deal? I can definitely pay it back. Don't worry. You're being so just cowardly." About this, this is so interesting because you have this with both of your parents that they tell you these big things, like your mom says your dad was violent with me, and then she minimizes it, and so you don't know what to believe. And then your dad says, "Here's this huge amount of money that I need this loan for," and you say that doesn't sound right. And then he says, "Oh no, 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 don't worry about it." So it's very hard. To trust the people that you should be able to trust, the people that you want to trust, your parents, but they give you so many mixed messages, and it's so confusing. I actually never thought about this way. You know what this reminds me of? Growing up, my parents always told me not to trust anyone,、mm. including them. Including them. They said. Not to trust anyone in this world except for yourself. My dad would say, "Not even your mom," and my mom would say, "Not even your dad." That's quite a statement. That statement usually goes with "except your family," but you kind of dismissed it. 
when you were told that? Because you did trust them. Yeah. Whenever they tell me this kind of advice, I always dismiss it because I always feel like they have such a negative outlook on life. And I don't think that's healthy. And I feel like relationships should be built by trust. And going back to the incident when my dad was trying to just get away with his so-called plans to pay me back, I just really did not think that was logical. And he started to just go against with everything he told me when he was trying to make amends with me. He was like, you're such a disappointment. Why can't you do this one thing for me that I'm asking? You literally don't need to do anything. You just sign your name and I'll pay the money back for you. And I said, no, I'm going to go into jail for this if you can't pay me back because I don't think I can pay it back. So you trusted yourself? At that point, yes. I was trying to stay calm, but deeply inside, I know I was extremely shaky and emotional. This reminds me of the way that he would treat your mom. You said she didn't want to talk with you after she went back to your dad, because I think she had so much shame around that. I think that she knew that because now you knew the extent of what was going on, that you would try to bring that up and talk to her about it and get her to leave and get her to be safe. And she, for whatever reasons, is not, was not willing to do that. And so here, your father is doing to you what he would do to your mom, which is trying to intimidate you into doing something that you need to do to protect yourself. Your mom couldn't protect herself, but you were trying to protect yourself and you were very clear about protecting yourself, even if you were shaky inside. And that's where the violence comes in, where someone tries to protect themselves from him and then he just can't handle that. Yes. He was wearing a leather jacket. I remember this because he took it off and tried to throw the jacket at my direction. In front of all those people? Yes. I avoided it. But I think there was like a metal button or something. I felt it on my shoulder. And I was in shock because growing up, my dad never laid a finger on me. And I was so proud of it. And at that moment, I just have like a cognitive dissonance or something. I was like, is this a dream that I just need to wake up from? And he was trying to throw a cup at me. And I was like, I'm going to leave. And he shouted at me in front of everyone. This sentence that I don't think I'll ever forget in my life. He said, if I could have taken your life back, I would. But the way he put it, he was like, if I could have taken your life back, because he gave me the life, he would have done that. Mm -hmm. Erased you from the world. Even right now, when I talk about it, my heart is racing. Mm -hmm. Vanessa, I don't know if you realize how much strength and courage you have to be able to walk away from that kind of pre-planned manipulation, harassment, bullying. You have all these people surrounding you, telling you to do something, pressuring you, yelling at you, and just reassuring, it'll be fine, you know, we love you. It is so, so
so difficult not to just say, fine, fine, I'll just hope for the best, but I can't take it. It's impressive to me that you were able to, despite all that pressure, realize I'm in danger here in many different kinds of ways, and I have to leave. And to leave with those kind of stakes on the table, knowing that that might cost you in other ways dearly, you did the right thing for you. And I don't know if you appreciate how brave that is. Thank you. This is my second time telling this story, and I'm very proud that I did not become mad and cry so much. Because last time, it took me a month in therapy session to really piece this whole thing together. Why would it be a problem if you cried? Guy was saying how brave this was and how much courage that took. Because it was really devastating what happened to you. And you're saying, I'm glad that I didn't cry when I was telling you about this, but it's such a sad story. And you must feel so sad. And so how does that serve you not to cry when something is truly sad? To be honest, like after that instance, I went back to my apartment and I felt like I must be lying down on my bed for hours and just crying because I thought I lost my dad. And I think I lost the dad that I thought I had for the whole time. And that evening, my dad called me. I thought he wanted to apologize for what happened. But then it was all about pushing me to sign that loan. And then in that conversation, he hang up the call with this sentence saying, his tone was extremely harsh. He was like, I'm not your dad anymore. You're not my daughter anymore. We're just strangers now. Don't ever call me or let me see you in my sight. Just disappear from this world. You mean nothing to me. And I just remember after that call, he hung up and I just curl into a ball and start to cry for, I don't even know how long. Because that was the moment I felt like, oh my God, I lost him in my life. And then like his group of people would just start to randomly knocking on my door in my apartment building, randomly calling me to talk about this, try to push me into signing. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And during this whole time, my dad did not show up, say a word. But I know it was him behind all this. So I got really scared because people would show up in front of my apartment and I moved into a different apartment, but still in the same city. So they tried to track me down. My dad would track to my friend and ask them where I am because my friend would tell me, hey, your dad called me. And I just became extremely insecure. I had a panic attack in public. I was in like a foot court by myself and I couldn't breathe and I start crying like crazy. And I was like, okay, I need to leave. So I packed up and moved across the country. And now no one knows where I am. But I still get nightmares and extremely worried that someone just show up in my like apartment door again. 
Have you tried to explain to your mom, who of all people would probably understand the bullying that your dad does, have you tried to explain to her what actually happened? And what about your aunt or your cousins or your siblings? I tried to spoke to my mom once because I was going back to my parents' house to pack up a few things while I was trying to move. And was your dad home when you went there? No. I pick a time that I knew he wasn't going to be home. And I ran into my grandma and my mom. And they were just like, why are you so selfish? Why aren't you not helping your dad with his money needs? You know, you're a part of the family. And I was like, do you know what happened? And they were just like, yeah, of course. Your dad told us everything. You refused to help him. But did you tell your side of the story? I said that he was not nice to me and he was even trying to be violent with me in public. And they dismissed it immediately. For my siblings, I've been in contact with them once and they did not agree with what I did. But in my opinion, I think they are not in a good financial place either. They're still relatively dependent to my dad financially. So your father helps financially with those siblings? Yes. And they live at home. When I say you said that this is the second time you're telling the story, it was in the therapy you did immediately after and now. And I'm curious about friends. You have friends that don't know this story. Why you not share with your friends what you went through and what you're going through? Because this is so severe and it's so difficult. And why not share that with any friends to get some support? Because... After this happened, I was Googling like a maniac, trying to understand if this ever happened to anyone else. But I did not come across a story that's similar to mine. And I don't want to be the emotional burden for my friends. The issue I go to them with are like normal problems. Like, for example, oh, you're sick, not feeling well. But if ever anyone needed support from friends, it's when their entire family turns against them. I can tell you I know of several cases like this. It's not that rare. But you do not want to burden your friends at the time of your greatest need. Why didn't this qualify as an unusually extreme event that requires that friends be there for you? That someone be there for you? The main reason I don't want to burden them and the other reason is that I don't know what kind of emotion I should be experienced, to be honest, because I, I'm literally going through an emotional roller coaster and I'm trying to understand it on a daily basis. Still. I'm thinking about the parallel between the way that you're not telling anyone about this and the way that your mom didn't want to talk to you after you knew the extent of what was really happening to her and the shame that she felt. I think that you feel the same amount of shame, even though you feel confident that you made a decision to protect yourself, that your family gave you so many messages of you're bad, you're selfish, 
you're not deserving of being my daughter. What's wrong with you? They think that some of that shame has been internalized by you. That that also prevents you from telling people that somehow they might judge you or think that you were not generous enough. And also the shame of having a family like that. Just the shame of having a father who would disown you for not putting yourself at risk. Yes, I agree with you. The hardest part for me, all my friends know how amazing my dad is. That's the problem. Like some of my friends' parents thought I grew up with with a single parent because all I talked about was my, how amazing my dad was. What are the things he did that were amazing other than not hitting you? My dad never checked my homework because he trusted me. There was one time I, I remember I, I was really little. I opened my backpack to my parents and I said, hey, do you want to look into what I have in my backpack? Because that's what a lot of parents did to my friends because that was like not trusting them. And so I asked my parents to do that for me. I was like, hey, check what I have in my backpack. And then there was like, ah, oh, no, no need. But again, something they didn't do, not something they did do. Yes. I, now I think about it. A lot of things I praise my dad for was more like he gave me the independence to do something. Or I did all this by myself because he trusted me. The shame, I think, is one thing that really stops you. I think the other thing that stops you from talking to friends is that when everyone who's supposed to care about you is telling you how wrong you are, how disloyal and selfish you are for not doing that, it really makes you distrust your own judgment and your own sense of what's real. You're like, no, I'm risking my future. And they're saying, nope, it's such a small procedural thing. Why are you making a fuss? And I think that you had so much of that pressure from practically everyone that you don't trust that you're not making a fuss, that you don't trust that your judgment was sound. You're questioning whether, well, maybe I'm the selfish daughter who should have done it. And even if you're not questioning it, you're worried that somebody else, like a friend, might join that chorus of people telling you how wrong you are and how much you failed your parents rather than vice versa. And that's the value of talking with friends and presenting them with your side of the story because the fact that it would be shocking to them that this hero turned out to do this is exactly the point because that's how shocking it was for you and still is. I just don't know, like if I cannot connect the dot together in the story, then how can anyone else do it? I think you do connect the dots. And I think that's the part that's so hard is that it's hard to accept that that's where the dots lead. It's very hard to accept that this did really happen in this way. And then I am left feeling very alone, feeling very misunderstood, feeling abandoned by my family. So you can connect the dots. It's very painful to connect them. I'm wondering, you said you moved across the country. So your friends are back where your family lives, 
Is that right? Your friends growing up? I have some friends, like the childhood friends. Uh-huh. What about other friends, like your friends from boarding school or your friends yeah. from where you live now? Do they know at least that you're not in contact with your family or they don't know anything? They don't know anything. It's very hard to make friends when you're hiding such a big secret about yourself, even without going into the details of the incident. The fact that you don't have contact with your family is such a big omission. What are you worried will happen if they learn that you're not in contact with your family? That your family basically disowned you for not signing a loan that you didn't feel comfortable with? I don't know, because even when they talk about their parents, I try to change the topic. Sometimes they ask me how my parents are doing. I was like, oh, they're good. Vanessa, you're already so alone. And the way that you get close to people is by opening up to their experience and letting them open up to yours. So when you change the topic, they may interpret that as, she doesn't want to get that close with me. And that leaves you even lonelier when you could have all of these very meaningful connections that you so desperately need right now. I know. I think I'm craving family relationship the most. Right. But your instinct to maybe I need to reconnect with them is the instinct to do what your mother did, to snap her fingers and go, didn't happen. We're going to pretend that nothing ever happened. And the only problem is that you might want to pretend that nothing ever happened, but they will not because they're still angry. And guys, right. That's what your mom did every time she would go back. There are terms to going back and the terms are you do what we demand and you pretend nothing happened and your family won't pretend nothing happened until they get you to sign that. I totally agree with what you just said. And I'm amazed how you can just see it within like the amount of time we've been talking. But it took me so long to realize that, to be honest. I was just in shock, disbelief. I'm grieving that I lost my family. Yes. You're grieving alone, Vanessa, is the problem. And you don't need to be grieving alone. I know like grieving is not only when people are dying, but my parents are still there, you know, if I want to find them. No, if you want to sign away that kind of money, then they're there. And now I'm afraid of trusting. I don't even share where I live with people because I have this nightmare that they're going to find me and then push me to do this to sign the loan or something even more horrible. I just have this constant nightmare that I would wake up and then suddenly I'm back in a dark room with my dad interrogating me and, and then pushing me to sign a loan. You know, those like dramatic, crazy things. And I have a security camera in my apartment now. Let's talk about what you imagine would happen in reality if your family found out where you are. So maybe they would keep trying to push you to sign the papers, which you don't want to do. Is there something more you said, and even worse, that your father would be violent with you? Is that 
part of it. Yes. So you're concerned for your safety, literally, still? Yes, because I saw my mom. And I think money really changes people. And when my dad was my dad, to my experience, he was nice. But then when this whole thing got involved, I just feel like he became a different person and was so money-driven and he could do anything. He sent people to knock on my door nonstop. That's the reason why I moved in the first place. People would text me randomly and be like, hey, I'm going to hunt you down where you live. And that's why I had to move across the country. You've lived in this new location for over a year now. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so your friends that you have in the city that you're in do not know where you live. They know the area, but they don't know where I live exactly. Are there any of those friends who are new that your parents don't know of or don't know how to get in touch with because they're new? Yeah, my parents wouldn't know who they are. With your existing friends that do know your parents, if they did know the story and they did know that you fear for your safety, do you think that you could trust them not to tell your parents where you are? I trust them not to tell my parents where I live, but I think because they really care about me, they would want to fix my relationship between me and my dad, so they they might reach out to my dad. Against your wishes? Yeah, because they would think they're doing the right thing for me, like I did for my mom. You might not need to trust them with your location, but are any of those people close enough you can trust them with the story? I think there, there would be one or two. Okay. I keep thinking about you Googling, trying to find a story like yours. And there are so many of them. You might not have seen people post about them, but there are so many stories like this. Am I the crazy one? That's what I was going to ask is, what was the real question you were asking by doing this search? That's the question that I think you're asking is, am I the crazy one? And I think that that's so important because your parents, in a weird way, warned you, don't trust us. And so you don't know who you can trust. And what's so courageous, as Guy said, and we want you to hold on to this, is the fact that you trust in every fiber of your being and every cell in your body, you know how much danger you would put yourself in if you signed those papers, that that would affect you for the rest of your life. We want you to keep trusting that place in yourself where you can find yourself because that's where you truly are. And instead of Googling to say, did this happen to other people because I need to find out if I'm crazy, we want you to trust the part of you that knows that you are not crazy, that what your family has done, that is what has been done to you, not something that you have done to them. They have acted in ways that have made you scared for your very livelihood in the literal sense and also in the financial sense. And now the question is, are you going to sit with all this by yourself? Or are you going to do the kind of grieving that you need to do? Are you going to find the surrogate family that you can trust? But you're going to need to trust yourself in order to take the steps to do that. And Vanessa, the surrogate family that Lori mentioned, which is so, so important, doesn't get constructed in a day. 
it is a process. You do a layer at a time and check and verify a layer at a time because you've been terrorized, essentially, and you're terrified. Even if you're not in touch with that all the time, you have monitors in your home, you're afraid to tell anyone where you live, that's witness relocation stuff. You have dreams about this. You're traumatized and you're terrorized. And you need, though, to start working on that surrogate family one step, small step at a time. You know, through processing, you know, through grieving, by a long shot. There's work to be done to recover and to rehabilitate your life. Am I too slow in the process? At first, I thought I was over it. And then the holiday season came around. Vanessa, you just went off into blaming yourself for something, like something's wrong with you. How did you take in what Guy said about creating this surrogate family, about learning to trust people, but doing it in a very cautious, careful way? The idea of like surrogate family was so new to me in therapy. That was my first time doing therapy, too after this incident. I was like, oh, I'm never gonna have family anymore. I lost my parents, my siblings, my relatives, my grandparents, everyone. And the therapist told me that family doesn't have to be blood related. They can be chosen, but in reality, I, have not been able to put that into practice because I'm really scared. I trust my friend still, but I'm not telling them the story. But what if she's doing the same thing to me? What if the people you thought loved you turn against you for their own selfish reasons? Yeah, I don't think I can take another one anymore. That's why we're using the words slowly, cautiously step, layer, that's very important because of those fears, which given what you've been through, are warranted. You've never actually had a family where you could trust that they would act lovingly toward you that was not in a conditional way. If I do the things that they want, if I perform the way that they want, if I make them proud, they will treat me well. They won't treat each other well, but they'll treat me well. That's not family. So you grew up with a very warped definition of family. I'm there to save them, but they're not there to ask me how I'm feeling about any of this. They're not there to take care of me and see what it's like to be a child who has to deal with domestic violence and these kinds of calls that are way above my ability to deal with and not my responsibility. So as you're forming a surrogate family, you will start to learn what the true definition of family is, and it does not have to be your blood relatives. What does it mean to be family? And are these people that I'm testing the waters with people who are worthy of being part of my family? I just wanted someone to spend holidays with. You know, I don't want to be alone and scared. Vanessa? We think you want more than just someone to spend holidays with. Yeah. 
I want someone to care about me, like to can talk about this thing and anything that I am having a hard time with. But also, I will do the same thing for them. Like, yes, I want a two-way communication, caring. And you've never had that in the way that you've needed it. So, Vanessa, we're really moved by what has happened with you and your family. And we have several pieces of advice for you. The first one is we were talking about what it would mean to create a family for yourself so that you aren't alone. And we're very aware that you don't know how to trust right now because you haven't been around people who've taught you what trust looks like. So we want you to take this very slowly. And we want you to do one thing this week. We would like you to ask one of your friends who does not know your parents to coffee. And in the conversation, when people say, how are you doing? How was your week? That you answer honestly with just a little bit of information. And you say, you know, actually, I'm having a really hard week. And I haven't told you this before because I don't really talk about this yet. I'm just kind of coming to terms with it myself. But I am estranged from my parents right now because they asked me to do something that would put me in financial jeopardy for the long term. And I couldn't agree to that. And they have estranged themselves from me. And that's been really hard. That's the only information that you really need to say at this point. We just want you to see what it's like to tell somebody that, to be honest about what you're actually experiencing, and then to see how this person responds to you. That's where the trust piece comes in. And what you want to look for in that response is they might be curious and say, oh, what happened? Tell me more. You could say, I don't really want to get into the details. This is still very raw for me. But what would be good, for example, is if at some point in that conversation later on, they shared something with you that they hadn't shared before that was a little emotionally vulnerable also, because that's what you're doing. You're allowing some emotional vulnerability. It would be nice if they followed up the next time you saw them or with the text in between saying, hey, just thinking about you, how are you doing? Or the next time you saw them, anything new going on there that sounded so difficult, because that's what you would want from a friend. And this is how you test the waters. You allow some vulnerability with someone. You hope that they do the same because that shows they're trusting you. And you do this very slowly. You get to know them a little bit more and vice versa. And when you say, I'm not really ready to share more, you want to make sure that your tone isn't such that they feel like I can never talk about this again with her, that you're not shutting the door. You're saying, I really appreciate that. I know you're curious. I'm just not ready I will share more when I'm ready, but thank you so much for your concern. They might say, is there anything I can do for you? Or that sounds really hard. Or thank you for telling me. You're looking for empathy from them. It could just be one statement because you're not really giving them a lot to go on here. And it could be nonverbal. Do they look distressed? Do they look worried for you? So those are the things to look for. And along those lines, we have an exercise that we would like you to do on your own which is we would like you to define for yourself what family should be. 
we want you to write down a list of these are the qualities that a person that I would like to be in a family with would have. And you're going to use that as your barometer as you are testing the waters with people. Does this person meet my definition of family? So you're taking these little tiny steps. And every time you check back to this list, does this person meet these qualifications? And if not, oh, maybe I'm not going to really invite them into my family. Oh, but this person does. Oh, that's a person I'm going to invite a little bit more into my family. And we'd like you to get very specific about what does family mean? How do they support? How do they care? How do they show their love for me? How do they show up? How do they hold my boundaries? We want to know what it felt like for you to make this list and to see the gap between what a family should be like and what your family has been like. A quick question. Are you still in therapy with that therapist? Not anymore. We would like you very much to find a therapist, hopefully someone local, because you have a lot of grief work to do. And you need to do that with a therapist. And specifically, you need to do a lot of revising of your previous perceptions of who your family is, who your dad is, who your mom is. Because Laurie and I both think your dad didn't change that much. It was always conditional, but you were always so good. Here, you can check my bag. Don't have to wait for you to ask. You were always so good you never encountered the one who's hitting your mom, the one who can put you on the spot like that and terrorize you like that. But he's been that person all along. So there's a lot of revising that has to be done in terms of who they are and what your history is with them, really. And that's the grief work because it's very upsetting to go back and revise and realize, yes, I've lost the idealized version. It never existed, but now I've lost even who they actually are. I don't have. Because this is something you can bring to the therapist. And as a part of that, we'd like you to write the story of what happened to you from your point of view, using only what you know to be true, literally your experience of what this was like from the minute your dad shows up at your door and tells you how amazing you are and how great the relationship is and how much he loves you till today, fearing for your safety from your own family because you refuse to put yourself in financial jeopardy. When you tell the story, it's still not sharp enough from your point of view. You keep saying, he asked me to sign something, which is completely not the case. He asked you to take out a loan in your name and give him the money. That sounds very different than he asked me to sign something. That's their rendition. It's just a signature. No, take out a loan in my name that I will never be able to repay and give you all that money. Sounds much clearer in terms of what was happening. We want you to write that story because you need to have a very clear idea of the true narrative after all the gaslighting that went on. And that you can bring to the therapy. And part of that story and part of the grieving is that you didn't really have the opportunity to be the child that you were. Your mom would call you with all of these very adult issues that were happening, and then she would alarm you and then tell you not to be alarmed, which was very confusing. And this responsibility from all of your family telling you that as the oldest child that you had to take care of everybody and solve all the family's problems, you missed out on a lot. We want the accurate version of the story to be there on paper as a starting point 
for the grief work that you need to do. This does not mean that your parents are all bad. This means that your parents are deeply flawed and you need to be able to separate out the fact that the ways in which they're deeply flawed have affected you to the point that you're scared for your own life. So how does this sound to you? I feel like I'm just enlightened because I thought that was what family meant. So I'm really grateful for the direction. We think that this is the starting point that will help you get much more clarity on how you eventually want to handle things with your family. But until you have more clarity and trust within yourself and you have more support around you, you won't get that clarity. And if you do this work, you will have people to spend the holidays with that you actually want to spend the holidays with who feel like family to you. So we really look forward to hearing from you and learning how this week goes for you. Thank you. I'm excited. We're excited for you too, Vanessa. One thing that really impressed me about Vanessa is that it's hard enough to hold on to your truth when someone gaslights you. But in this case, it was her entire family gaslighting her. And yet, remarkably, she was able to hold on to her truth. She was vacillating a bit, but fundamentally, she was able to hold on to that. I just think that takes so much strength. It's really remarkable. Yeah, and I think that that's why it's so important for her to write down the story from her point of view, because... She keeps toggling between fear and denial. And I think when she really sees the story on paper, she can then hold on to her truth more easily. And for that same reason, it's so important for her to redefine what family is and what it means to her, because she really has to know what it is she's seeking and what it is she's not getting from her family of origin. So that'll be a really important exercise. I know we both had so much compassion for her. She's in such a difficult situation. And while this might sound extreme, I think anybody who's had their family tell them that what they're feeling or thinking or believing is not okay can relate to what she's going through. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, 
Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So, Laurie, we heard from Vanessa. I'm very curious to hear how this week went for her and how she did with the assignments. So let's take a listen. I just want to give you an update on the assignments you gave me last week. The first thing was to meet with my friend and tell them I'm having some issues with my family. I actually wasn't able to meet my friend because of errands and weather. So instead, I called someone on Sunday evening and I told her that actually my past week wasn't that easy because I had some family issues and I am still processing it myself. So I cannot really tell her anything specific until I have sorted it out. And then because it was a call and it was late at night, she asked me if she wanted me to have her drive over so she can like keep me a company. And I was really surprised and touched by her question because I didn't expect that kind of response. Especially I did not say anything besides I had a bad week because of some family issue. I think this is going to the right direction for me. So I hope to continue this relationship and hopefully I can actually have her over at my place sometime. The second thing on the to-do list is to find a therapist. So I am working with my insurance to find someone at the moment. I'm probably going to speak to a professional in a week or two. And as for the letter, so the first draft I wrote was still very scattered, trying to piece everything together in my own voice, but it feels so surreal for me still. So I think I'm going to try to write the letter from a third-person perspective. So I'm no longer I in the story or my dad. It will be Vanessa and Vanessa's dad. So I can see things more clearly because what really shocked me was how you thought my dad was always this way, but I just choose to not see him in that way. So I want to be able to write my story from a third-person point of view first to see if I can have an objective storyline. And last but not least is the meaning of family. So I just wrote down some aspects 
families are supposed to be uplifting and hopeful for each other. And I hope my family can embrace me for being me. And we can get through difficult times together, celebrate the happy times together, of course, and just provide mental support through the good, the bad. And most importantly, I can be myself when I'm around them. I don't have to behave in a certain way or wear a mask. I just want to say I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak to you both. I really learned a lot about myself, my family, my childhood. It's crazy how you learn something about me and my story so quickly while it took me so long to realize. There are a lot of things that I'm afraid of admitting, but somehow you just get it. Thank you. Thank you a lot. I was so touched to hear how her friend responded to her saying, I'm having trouble. My week didn't go so well. And the offer to drive over late at night and spend time with her was something that was so new to Vanessa. And when we talk about the other task of defining what family is, that's what family looks like. And I think it was new to Vanessa because what Vanessa did was new. She admitted a smidge of pain and vulnerability. It wasn't a great week. She couldn't say more, but she didn't have to say more. The fact that the friend was so willing to come over, I think means she's not used to hearing Vanessa say, I'm struggling and Vanessa has really been struggling. So to me, this was a great experiment of open a little bit of vulnerability, see the response, and if it's encouraging, then do more. Yeah, I think she's really learning what family is or what family is supposed to be. And I loved her definition of the meaning of family because part of that was exactly what the friend did. She said they're supposed to emotionally support you through the good and the bad. And that's exactly what she got when she was open with her friend and vulnerable. And that means, Vanessa, that family are people with whom you can feel comfortable being open and vulnerable. Because my general sense with her is that this is still so raw, so unprocessed. She hasn't been able to talk about it with anyone. And so she's really in the initial stages of dealing with this, of grieving, of processing, of understanding. And that requires her to open up. Yeah. And she said part of her definition of family was that I can be myself when I'm around them. So she was dipping her toe in for the first time, but she was being her real self and she got such a warm, supportive reaction. I also really liked what she said about the narrative, that it was too difficult to write in the first person. So she actually used a psychological technique that we often recommend. It has a lot of research behind it, and that's called psychological distancing. And that is that you find a way to distance the emotions so it's less present and suffocating. And you do that by literally using third person from first person. And that shift from first to third person was enough to take down the distress level to make it workable rather than too much. 
And that's different from dissociating. So what she was doing was actually healthy. It was a way for her to go into a place that feels very dangerous, but in a way that feels safe. But she was going into the feelings. That's different from dissociating where you're removing yourself from the feelings. And I hope, Vanessa, that once you finish that narrative in the third person, still give yourself the task when you're ready to translate that into first person. That will be important to do at the point where you feel you can do it. And she also started the process of finding a therapist, which is going to be very important for her to have a place where she can really process all of these feelings and feel safe and comfortable. We give people a week normally to do our homework assignments. And our producer said that she turned this in within a few days. So she was really ready and she was so receptive. And these were really, really hard things to do in her situation. I so admire the fact that she was able to do this so quickly. I think another reason she got so much done this week because she has been waiting a full year to open up, to talk about it with someone. And I think doing that got her to the starting line. Right. And what she said at the end about how we saw things that she hadn't seen before, I think really what happened was she felt heard for the very first time. I think there were things that she knew. We were able to create a space for her where she had been afraid to acknowledge certain things. And now they were being talked about in an open way. And that's where we want her to get to. So I think this will be a journey for her as she heals. But I think she's definitely on the right path. Next week, a young married couple wants to learn how to stop their arguments from escalating into destructive screaming matches. My sister moved in with us and there's been rules that need to be set in place for the household. We've had certain disagreements and it always ends with arguments where we don't even want to talk to each other anymore. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Zachary Fisher and Katie Matty. Our intern is Alana Doherty. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, 
you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.